Hello, Stephen here. Just to let you know of a couple of changes that are happening to the podcast, I wanted to let you know. So we've been doing this podcast now for, uh, well, just over a year, and we started doing the podcast one episode a week, uh, and we kept that up, and then we started to want to interview people. So um, we had Riley as our first guest, and then we started to do more and more of that so in the end we ended up with two episodes a week which is great and we love doing it but it's become really quite difficult and we're just struggling to keep up me particularly because I do the editing and the booking of guests and and, uh, all of that sort of outside admin so um, struggling to keep up with that and I get the feeling sometimes that our listeners you dear listeners also struggle to keep up with the rate at which the podcasts come out. We've also never done seasons, so it's really been, um, you know, just constant material being uploaded and so on. So we have decided that in order to keep the podcast going and hopefully to carry on improving the quality of what we do, we're going to reduce it back down to one week. So at the moment, we're thinking that we're going to do that first thing Sunday morning so the Sunday podcast will stay and we're going to combine we're going to have different episodes each week sometimes it'll be an interview sometimes it will be Celine and me talking about a different subject so the same sort of stuff but we're just going to reduce it down to one a week so I hope that's okay with everybody and uh, you know we really love doing the podcast I love doing the podcast particularly I can't think of a job I've ever done that I love more. Um, it's a complete labour of love, so I still have to do my day job, but I absolutely love doing it. So, you know, we want to keep the podcast going, but we think this is the best way to do that. Your support is really important to us to keep doing that. The biggest support is listening and telling other people about it um, and, you know, doing reviews and things like that. That makes a massive difference. The more people that listen, the easier it is for me to spend more time on it so yeah um, please help us to do that by listening and telling other people about the podcast we really appreciate that and one of the other things I wanted to say actually before we go is that we've had now about 141 episodes on the podcast and that's a lot of episodes so there may well be some episodes that you haven't heard that you might be interested in Um, A suggestion from one of our patrons was to create an index with all the episodes on um, so you could kind of cross-reference what we talked about. So I've done that. I've created an index on our Evil Sheep webpage. I'll put a link of that onto our show notes for today. In fact, I'll keep doing that from now on. Um, The index is basically a table with all of the episodes on and the second column or third column is different subjects that I can remember we we covered on that episode. So if you're interested, I don't know, in science, then you can search for science. If you're interested in psychology, you can search specifically for that. Or if you're interested in a group like the Children of God, you can um, search for that. So there's a little search engine on there as well. So I hope you find that useful. Do dip back into the old uh, episodes. They're not that old, really. They're only a, a year or so old. And... Um, There's some interviews and stuff there that we really enjoyed doing. So just thought I'd let you know about that.
I guess that's it. We're now going to speak to Mary. So we've got an interview today with Mary Mahoney. She's the author of a book called Abnormal Normal. And she talks about her life in the Children of God cult. Um, it's a fascinating interview. Of course, because of the nature of this group, she gets to talk about some pretty unpleasant things. She talks about her experience of exploitation in terms of sex and what they call flirty fishing. So if that sort of thing disturbs you, you should be aware that we will talk about some of that. But Mary's story is, for me, one of uh, it's a really in, inspirational story actually because she still comes across as a warm interesting and at times very funny person who uh, we absolutely love talking to so that's it for my preamble i hope you enjoy the interview hi dad hi Celine. did you know that you and i are about the same age if you count time living in the world what do you mean well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. So um, very excited today to be interviewing Mary Mahoney. Uh, Mary is the author of a fabulous book called Abnormal Normal, My Life in the Children of God totally recommend this book um for anybody who's interested in this sort of subject um mary's also describes herself as a student of psychology neurology and behavior um, and she is an ex um church of god member so she talks about her story in that group welcome to the show mary well thank you for having me mm -hmm. Very interested to talk to you today. Um, we have spoken to somebody from the Children of God um, before. We spoke to a, a UK-based person called Angela Lathwell. So um, we've had a, a little bit of an understanding of of that life. Um, so we're really excited to talk to you uh, about your experience. Mm -hmm. um, our, our listeners, would, I'm sure, would like to know a little bit about you and get to know what your experience was. So could you give us a, um, you know, a bit of a sort of potted history of, of how you came to be in this space? Okay. Cer certainly. First of all, I want to say Angela did an excellent job of explaining mm -hmm. everything about the children of God. Um, mm -hmm. And I was very impressed uh, with how well <laughs> she <laughs> explained everything. Oh, she'll be pleased with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, but as for me, I was born into a, a Catholic family, um, the youngest of seven kids. And uh, by the time I was three or four years old, I was going to a Catholic preschool where the nuns taught us to pray, um, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I give you my heart and my soul. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of set up with the idea that giving your life to God was the ideal self-sacrifice was the ideal. I read um, books of martyrs and um, Christian missionaries growing up and 
these were the people that were the real saints, you know, they gave up their life of wealth in the Western countries to go and save the benighted heathen of the world. Mm-hmm. It's a deep and rich in irony now, but at the time mm-hmm. I thought it was so, so marvelous mm-hmm. and it's such a goal to shoot for. So um, by, the, uh, by the time I was 16, all my older brothers and my sister had left home long before me. And I was alone in the house, the quiet house with just my parents. And I wasn't close to my parents. Our family was really kind of a formal family. Um, Our house was immaculately clean. Mm -hmm. And um, we never talked about, like, there were just things you didn't talk about in my house. And one of them was sex. Nudity (laughs) was never a thing. Like, um, I live in Japan now and you see families go together to these public baths and stuff. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. when you stay in a in an inn, you know, mm-hmm. families just go take baths together. It's just normal. But I never saw anyone in my family naked. It would mm-hmm. just be like, oh my god, that would just never happen. It was so foreign to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was kind of in this repressed. My mother was raised by a Victorian mother, mm-hmm. kind of a Victorian childhood. And then I met the children of God when I was 16. And I thought, wow, these are these, these people that are trying to live the way the disciples did in the book of Acts. They're serving God. They're giving up everything like St. Francis to go into all the world and tell others about Jesus. They're like a mix of old-time religion and hippiedom. What a perfect fit. <laughs> and I was just so taken with them in spite of thinking some of the stuff they thought was, uh, they believed was a little weird because of my repressed upbringing, you know, but I just felt so, fell so in love with them when I, um, when I met them and I was just over, overcome with the hugs, the affection, the camaraderie, the singing, the, the united um, joy of this group. It's like, I fell in love (laughs) and, how was I to know it was a cult? Mm-hmm. I was just a 16-year-old. My frontal lobe had another nine years before it was going to be developed, and I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have the physical ability to foresee consequences, really. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I got involved in the children of God. I just thought they were great. So what was that like kind of, yeah, moving more into that space, I guess, like um, moving away from what you'd been raised in and, you know, uh, and then, yeah, going into the children of God more and more, presumably. Well, the children of God at that time had um, very strict rules. Mm-hmm. There was no sex before marriage, it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. It was pretty. It was pretty in line with my parents' religion, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, my parents were charismatic Christians. They were the leaders mm-hmm. of the charismatic group within their Catholic church. And we had like prayer meetings at our house and my mom would break the, bake the communion bread. And we had priests mm-hmm. that came over for dinner all the time. And so what I, the way I saw the children of God was that they were just this really fundamentalist Bible believing group. Mm-hmm. The weird stuff with the sex didn't come in till a few years later when I was mm-hmm. across the world in a, isolated mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. but when i first joined it was just like really struck me as pure 
Um, But of course, I didn't know at that time that David Berg, the founder, was like already like (laughs) having (laughs) free sex with anybody he could get his hands on. I had no (laughs) idea because that was all hush hush. Us plebeians (laughs) didn't know. That's interesting. Um, uh, it's it's interesting the way you describe that that early association with the group. Um, the the phrase love bombing is something that is often talked about in um, in cults, and it sounds like that was very much what what you experienced. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is, and I think that it's. I think I don't know if people realize how much it's like falling in love, and mm. like when you you fall in love and you don't question things you know you just are head over heels with this person you're in love with and and uh anybody can fall in love right (laughs) (laughs) no that's absolutely right it's you make that point in in the book so well and um yeah i i i personally was raised um as a jehovah's witness so my background is is a a born in one so i guess i've never experienced that so that's that's something that um only those who join these groups will kind of be able to talk about. So mm. I think that's very interesting to see. Mm-hmm. But I, I have observed the the change in people as they come along to these meetings, and then you can see that they are their their eyes are alive with the excitement of of what they've found in the yeah. early certainly in the early days and then then the drudgery kicks in you know it then becomes just work and lots and lots and lots of work That's which right. again you you talk about in your book so well mm-hmm. so you, you joined true. the you joined the group um and and there was a period where you were still obviously um you were allowed to go and see them a little bit they, they did a little bit of a uh i suppose a a tactical uh, show to your father who came along to to sort of see what it was like. Do you want to talk a little yes. bit about how they did that? Oh, well, when I first met them, I guess my mother must have read something about the children of God and she said mm. I should not visit them. But so I just lied and I would go mm. and say I'm visiting my friend, you know, Blair, sure. and then she would say I'm visiting my friend Mary and we'd just go out together or whatever and go see the children of God or whatever we did, you know. But um, then uh, I then <laughs> it was spring, and I had known it had been six months or so since I'd met the children of God, and and uh, my father was uh, going to Honolulu for a. He was a representative of this of this international consortium, so he asked me and and, and my mom were going to go with him, so we went to Honolulu and. <laughs> The first morning after, you know, the next morning after we had arrived, we were walking down Kalakaua Boulevard, the main dra- drag of Waikiki, mm-hmm. and then this guy comes up, oh, here, this is for you. Can you help us with a donation? You know, it's like, oh, my God, it was a children of God person. Mm-hmm. And um, so my parents were just like, what are we going to do? You know, they, I think they just walked along and were like, God, we took her here to try to get her away, and here they are. And I was like, oh, God's on my trail. Oh, I'm so happy to meet this other person, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so after that trip, then my dad was like, okay, I'll just meet these guys. And so then he came over. We came to we went together to the Children of God commune, and this very uh, you know straight laced looking boy answered the door mm-hmm. with his hair nicely cut and everything. And oh, hello, come on in, Mr. Mahoney. And mm-hmm. and they uh, 
they talked to him and they sang songs together. Then my dad picked up a guitar and sang some songs because he had learned to play the guitar so he could play, as he said, Jesus songs <laughs> when he was after. He, I think he got saved when he was around 50. So he was, mm. what, maybe, uh, I don't know, 57 or so by then. Mm-hmm. And so he sang with them and like, he had a grand old time and they were nice <laughs> to him and it, it seemed all very innocent, you know, and it was yep. very innocent in those days, at least to my vision, it was. Mm. And so he said, fine, you can visit them twice a week. And uh, I guess he hoped that I would work as a lifeguard again the next summer, because that's what I had done the preceding year. Mm. Um, and then just visit them on my days off. But I had other ideas because, you know, I had to memorize the Bible. I had to study, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So I didn't want to be ashamed. I had to memorize everything. So did I ever. I can still quote Bible verses. And my younger children who know nothing about the cult, they're like, how did you know that? (laughs) (laughs) There's a side of me you don't know, kids. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The way that you, um, uh, you know, when – when you're in these groups, um, I know from my experience, you know, when things happen, coincidences happen, you're convinced that it's, oh, this is direction from God, you know, mm-hmm. um, Jehovah it would be for, for my group, you know. So you you happening to bump into some children of God people in in Honolulu, you know, would be an absolute confirmation that, oh, yeah, this is, this is God's spirit that is guiding uh, matters, you know, and, and that mm-hmm. confirmation of uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about confirmation bias a lot in your in your book and that's um yeah you, you sort of see confirmation everywhere of, of what you're you're starting to believe yeah. oh yeah uh, well the bible says faith cometh by hearing the word of god well hmm. i don't know how i pulled that one out but we really <laughs> we really see what we want to see we believe hmm. what we want to believe and if we already have this idea in our head we look for it and then we see it that's the yes. way we are like um, it's not just religious people that are like that. Everybody's like that. Absolutely. We really see what we're looking for, and we don't see what we're not looking for. It's human nature. I didn't know that at the time. I learned yeah. that after I left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell you really, you really have done a lot of work afterwards, and I really want to talk about that because that's, uh, again, very sort of close to, to my heart and my experience. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of really interesting little phrases here that I want to just run by you. Um, sure. our, our listeners would like to know about. So, uh, litnessing. Tell us about litnessing. Well, as you might know, I, I'm sure you do know, um, all Christians are must proselytize go ye into all the world and preach the gospel you all know this and Mm. so the children of god in the olden days used to just go out with their guitars and talk to people sing to people but then our prophet he knew better and he came out with these mo letters the words of god straight through the mouth of the prophet and we used to pass those out on the street hi Mm. here this is for you can you help us with a donation or we're helping get kids off of drugs. Can you give us a donation? And mm-hmm. well, you know, people are going to give you a donation because people are generally nice, at least <laughs> in my naive viewpoint, I think people are kind. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and with the reciprocity, oh gosh, how do you say that word? People want to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, indeed. Word. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so you give somebody something and you ask them for something. And they're going to give you a donation. So even if you just get nickels and dimes, Mm. you do that for Mm. eight hours a day and you come home with a lot of money 
Mm-hmm. Um, I used to, like in 1974, I'd come home with, yeah, $100 a day, easy. And that was a lot of money in those days, at least for mm-hmm. a little 16-year-old. So, you know, that's how we, that's how the children of God supported themselves in the early days by litnessing, which is a, you know, portmanteau of witnessing and literature, well, mm-hmm. literature and witnessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's little words that, that are um, invented by these groups, I think is, is very common. Um, mm-hmm. and In little phrases. Groups. Yeah. Yes, yes. They become we like a little code, ones. don't they? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, another another thing that ring, rang a bell very much in in the early part of your book is this. Um, I mean, I, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. This idea of blood guilt, um, having blood on your hands mm. um, for not uh, witnessing or, or litnessing, <laughs> as you would you guys would have called it. Um, so yeah, um, that that I think is very manipulative, and it was it was a source of great anxiety to me as I was growing up. Mm, um, I bet. Can you tell us a little bit about how they use that in order to to get you to do things? Oh, well, you just had to go out and raise money. Basically, that's what it was, right? Yeah. Distributing the Mm -hmm. literature and getting money. Because if you didn't, and then the person, like, if I'd stayed home one day, and then the people I would have talked to that day die, and they don't go to heaven, whose fault is it? It's my fault, because I didn't go out and do my job. So if I don't tell somebody about Jesus through passing them out of this stupid mo letter, um, then their blood's going to be on my hand. And yes, I'll die. And because I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven. But the entire time I'm there, I'm going to be suffering shame, everlasting mm-hmm. shame and contempt. What could be worse? Maybe hell, but could it really? So mm-hmm. we were all in this great fear that mm-hmm. you, we've got to pass these things out or we're going to have blood on our hands and and go to heaven and have everlasting shame and contempt. So it was, yeah, yeah, a lot of pressure. Yeah. But I imagine Jehovah's Witnesses, I mean, like, you you guys, like, pretty diehard witnessers. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it is focused all around that. Um, For for Jehovah's Witnesses, the... What everybody knows them for. Well, indeed, yeah. It's it's knocking on doors. Um, They now have a literature cart where they... um, Obviously, the pandemic's uh, interrupted a lot of that stuff, but um, they would stand with literature carts at various places. I'm sure you've mm. seen them in, in your region. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it, a lot of it was about literature. It was about placing literature. Um, so again, that reminds me very much of, of my experience. I imagine you had quotas, like how many you had to get out. Like when I was first in, we'd have to pass out a thousand pieces in a day or something like that. And we couldn't go yep. home until we had a thousand distributed. Yeah, I think I think they were a bit more relaxed. Well, certainly more relaxed when I was uh, when I was there. There wasn't any About quotas. Time wasn't it? Yeah, it was all time. Yeah, time was oh, the I currency um, of Jehovah's Witnesses. So I, oh, I pioneered wow. for a while, which means I've committed to spend ninety hours a month um, doing this work, and it was all about counting time. Oh, that makes a lot of sense because I always wonder why they just small talked so much. Like, come oh, on, yes. you guys, I've got things to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely it. They don't really mind. They're happy to come in, have a cup of coffee, and uh, oh, chat about all sorts of things because they're counting time. It's all about time. <laughs> yeah, so if you let them in, they can have a nice warm sip yeah. for a bit and get out. That's of the what rain. you'd hope for. You'd really hope mm. for a cup of coffee. Yeah, half an hour oh. out in the cold and the rain. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so, so many things that reminded me so much. It's almost like, um, you know, take away the commune aspect of it, which I want to talk to you about, and take away, obviously, the the, the thing that happened later um, that you talk about in your book around this, um, this sharing, this sexual element of it. So take away those two, and actually you've really very much got um, the same sort of thing that, that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it was Armageddon coming around the corner. For you, it was um, the destruction of America. Was that was that right? That was like a some some sort of thing that was going to happen. Yeah, that was that was what got us out of America. It's oh, you know, the first one was forty days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. You know, God's going to destroy America for its wickedness in forty days. Well, that didn't happen. Oh, well, that's because you guys were so faithful. <laughs> And mm-hmm. you did your job. So God yeah. heard your prayers. You are so important. You move the hand of God. Yeah. yeah that really mm-hmm. works did... into the illusion of superiority. But yeah. And then the next time it was, okay, at the bicentennial, God's going to destroy America. So you guys all just need to leave. And that was when the leader I was living with at the time somehow devised, I don't know how it happened, but he was going to move to Manila. And so mm-hmm. the, we, as his support team, went ahead and found a house for him and got, you know, prepared the way for him to come to Manila, this, this royal guy, (laughs) (laughs) big leader. So funny. (laughs) (laughs) The absurdity of the children of God. Just amazing. (laughs) There's such an air of superiority around the leaders, isn't there, in these groups. And they're they're like kings of a very little anthill really, but they, there is this feeling that they are so important. Uh, one of the things i thought was really interesting in your book is how um how brave you were really i think um in you know i I think of of you you go to manila you have no money you um you 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 ask for for help you you get you manage to to get lifts places you uh, manage to find places to live you don't know the language but you learn the language and i think although obviously um, this is all part of, of your being part of the group. You know, that must have been quite a frightening time. How did you feel about all of that upheaval and all of that life that you were leading? Oh, well, when I first went to Manila, yeah. um, I just like, it was what, just what we were doing. I didn't really think too much about it. I mean, I was only 19. It's like I wasn't mm-hmm. like thinking very deeply about things. <laughs> but um, my biggest shock was waking up with this cockroach looking me in the face. Two-inch cockroach. It's like, I've never even seen a cockroach before. What is this monster? And then, and then having to go shopping at the market, and it was like an aviary for roaches with these roaches, these giant roaches flying and these mm-hmm. landing on my head and scurrying about. It was like, that was my biggest trauma, the cold was oh, it's weird and weird, but the, the, the roaches were awful. But yeah, the what was shocking to me though was that the people in the cult there didn't uh, have any money. Like I, I mean, we always had money. Because, I guess because America, it's easier to live. But in Manila, they were afraid that they would get kicked out of the country, so they were afraid to approach anyone that looked like they had wealth because they were so paranoid of getting kicked out of the country. And I was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. And so the people that I came with were like, oh, it's crazy. We, we, I'm tired of eating pineapple for breakfast. You know, I don't eat pineapple to this day because of all the pineapple laid for breakfast. It was awful. So we were like, this is crazy. You guys, we need money. 
So we went to um, the, a stoplight in front of the wealthiest neighborhood in Manila, and we started passing out literature and asking for donations. And then the other guys, like when we arrived, the average donation would be like five centavos, which isn't even like, it's not even a US cent or something. But then mm -hmm. we'd go and we'd get these 100 peso donations and that could actually carry us through. And so we did that for a while and our living standard rose drastically. I mean, we were sleeping on marble floors with like a sheet. <laughs> mm -hmm. I would not do that now. <laughs> <laughs> and so then the then we got uh then we found a house for this leader to come and set it up and it, it was okay, you know. Mm -hmm. it, things were still relatively simple in those days. We went out passing out literature and you know, people were nice because they respected missionaries and we called ourselves missionaries. I thought I was a missionary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. you know, in retrospect I see what a farce it all was, but at the time, I was like well-meaning, and people were kind. Uh, yeah, it was okay at the first <laughs> until yeah. until FFing, flirty fishing. Yes, came in. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a tell us a little bit about that, um, if you will, Mary. It's um, it, it's it seems a very um, strange turn that the the organization takes. Do you want to yes, tell us a little indeed. bit about that? Well. As I already said, my upbringing was very uh, prudish. I was, I was very prudish, very repressed. Mm -hmm. And so I was very, very happy to join a ch the Children of God where there was no sex until marriage. I like safe because I was afraid of boys. Uh, I, I don't really know what caused that. I think perhaps I was quite insecure and I always thought I was ugly, unworthy, you know. Mm. I don't know. But that's just kind of like how I was. And so then... We start getting these mo letters about how Berg is basically pimping out his mistress who became his wife. I don't know mm. if they were ever married, really. But anyway, mm. uh, this woman who's the leader of the cult now, Karen Zerby, we mm. called mm -hmm. her Mama Maria, as you heard from Angela. Mm. Um, she was uh, basically being pimped out by Berg and, you know, having sex with these guys in England. And then mm. they went moved to Tenerife. How is that how you say it? And... Um, mm. Then he continued the same, but he got more women. And so he was pimping out all these women, having sex with these guys, um, like to tell them about God's love, right? And so the way he presented FFing was that we should be willing to do anything to win a soul for Jesus. And these men, we were not going to meet them ever witnessing. We're never going to meet these men any other way. So the only way we have to meet these men and to show them God's love is through FFing, through flirty fishing, going to clubs and mm -hmm. sitting around waiting for some guy to buy you a drink and then talking to them and see what happens next. Mm -hmm. So when I read about that, I thought, hmm, yeah, I guess that's my cross to bear, you know? Right. I'll we'll right. do anything for Jesus, right? I mean, I had memorized like thousands of Bible verses by this time that knowing that, you know, if you're a disciple, you're going to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. You know, you're going to do what you have to do. Um, you know, so I just thought that mm -hmm. it was my duty to God to, to, do, to sacrifice myself in this way. So mm -hmm. that's what happened. One day when I was out witnessing with some Older children, or older children in those days would be like 11, 9 years old. Mm -hmm. I met this uh, gentleman from the Middle East, 
and he wanted to see me, wanted to take me out for dinner. So I went home and had to ask my shepherds and they said, oh yes, yes, you should go. Mm -hmm. And that was my, that's when I lost my virginity. Mm -hmm. So, yep. That was so that must have been terrifying for you. Um, that 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 experience. Um, it, it's it's yeah. That just sounds awful for you. I mean, you you <laughs> you'd left your your home. You'd ended up in this situation, and and that was now what you were expected to do. Yeah, well, that was just what it was. You know, I didn't really think of any alternatives. Sure. You know, what else could I do? Could I run home? Huh. Mm-hmm. I think my mother had already died by then. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, my mother had already died by then. Mm-hmm. And then my father died just shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, I was really alone in, in yeah. you know, on the other side of the world. What was I going to do, you know? Sure. And, and yeah. besides, the children of God were my family, you know. I had kind of accepted them as my family. And this was my calling in life. So um, well, I guess it's kind of important to say that uh, before the FFing letters came out, Bird came out with this kind of a milestone letter, at least to me, uh, called Strange Truths. Um, and it was, Berg used to have these dreams and he'd interpret them and like these were the words of God, whatever. Okay. So um, he, in this dream, he was uh, in a pool of, he and this young people were in this pool of water from a spring, you know, and they were all having fun in the water. And then these small creatures came out in the water and then some people looked at those small creatures and said, oh, this is terrible. These are awful. You know, the water's not clean anymore. And they left. Shame, shame, shame on them for leaving. Because the creatures came from the source, God. You know, the source of the spring is God. So those creatures are from God. So we just need to accept them. So that was like, was laid the groundwork mm-hmm. for, yeah, it's weird really shit's coming. And yeah. <laughs> you're going to accept it because it's all from the source, God. Mm. So when something weird happened, it was like, okay. Or if it was super weird, then it was, okay, you just wrap it up in a bundle of faith and put it on a shelf. You Mm -hmm. compartmentalize and you don't think about it, right? But that's what we were supposed to do. That's so interesting. I mean, that that tactic of... um... It's it, these things are difficult to understand. These things are, you know, it's not worldly wisdom. It's godly wisdom, and it's different to worldly wisdom. It's um, and o- obedience is is so important. Those messages that you're you're receiving constantly. These are all priming you, aren't they, to to get you to do something that that you wouldn't normally do. Yeah, and and it's not that far different from the Catholicism. Um, because whenever I had a question of Catholicism, the answer was always, yeah. it's a mystery. God's ways yeah. are not our ways. We That's don't right. understand the ways of the Lord. So it was like the yeah. same thing, but, you know, weirder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's right. And, and I think that it does raise lots of questions, which are difficult, uncomfortable questions around religions and uh, mm-hmm. um, and the, the differences. I think um, a lot of the time it's 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 degrees to which these things are taken is hmm. seems to be the, the big difference. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I, I was going to um, just, just re- reel back a little bit. There was a, there was something I read to my wife um, yesterday. Um, I just said to her, listen to this. And it was a, I mean, we would call it an experience um, at our kingdom halls and meetings. We, we would talk about, great experiences people have had and it's always an example of where god has intervened and helped his people you know and you talk about this um uh 
this this person who was looking for a, a hotel room um and she basically goes up to uh the hotel and say and basically says we're going to get a free room we're going to get a free hotel room just by asking mm. um and she does and yes she gets a free hotel room just by asking there's then a little bit of a an upset because they think she might be underage and a runaway but then that's all sorted out and you get a, a nice breakfast for the next morning and i thought that and i read that to my wife and i said what does that remind you of and it absolutely sounded like the sort of experience you would hear at the assembly you know listen to this this shows you how god mm. um, helps jehovah's people you know mm-hmm. um and it's it's exactly the same yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It <laughs> the really similarities is. really are amazing. Well, they what use it... the phrase Jehovah will provide. So. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. just we just don't say Jehovah because we say God or That's Jesus. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's right. Um and I just thought that was that was just so staggering. But again, it's um it's this ability to these are these are behaviors, you know, you what you're demonstrating there is as you've already said, the fact that that people are generally actually quite quite helpful and nice, and and generally people want to um, to reciprocate reciprocate if they think there's some somebody's given you something. These are just normal psychological responses, but mm-hmm. through the lens of these fundamentalist groups and cults, they they take on a different um, a different side, don't they? Yes, uh, indeed. Which I thought was very very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so your your you're you're engaged in this um ffing um this flirty fishing you you also have a family situation you want to talk a little bit about about that so you end up um with a husband um, who's called jed in the book um how does that how does that happen and how does how what's family life like when you have this type of arrangement where not only are you flirty fishing but there's also a essentially a sharing doctrine within the uh, within the commune, within the house that is packed full of people. Can you describe a little bit of that for us, please, Mel? Okay, well, uh, I'll just back up a little bit before I get married. Okay. Um, yep. I, um, after this initial FFing started, then, then Bird wrote another letter and said, okay, so because we're like, we're already helping these needy men with their sexual mm-hmm. needs, right? So why, why, we should now be helping each other within the communes with our each other's sexual needs. So it like opened the floodgates to like, wow, widespread promiscuity. Like people are having sex with each other, like, oh mm. man, every night, you know, different partners. And it's like, okay, this is so not my scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very uncomfortable with this. And not long after that, then I went to live with Faithy, like Berg's daughter for a little while. And then I got called mm-hmm. away to uh, World Services, which is like a higher echelon of, mm-hmm. of Children of God members. They work in more administration and preparing publications and whatnot. So I went to live in this smaller place where this sexual thing wasn't really going mm-hmm. on. These were kind of like normal people I was living with, at least so I thought, uh, mm-hmm. much more restrained. And so I remained with them for over four years. Mm-hmm. Just It ended up just being me and this couple and um, their three children at the time. But every month or two, the husband uh, fulfilled his duty to take care of the single girl in their house, which was me. Mm-hmm. And so every couple months, he'd come and have sex with me. Now, me, being a young little 20-year-old, mm-hmm. 
no, 21. I had lost my virginity right before my 21st birthday. Um, I was very uh, much in love with him because I was like, wow, mm-hmm. this guy's nice to me. You know, he has sex with me. He's really sweet. And so I really fell in love with him. Then I got pregnant with his baby. Mm-hmm. So then uh, when the baby was a year and a half old, they suddenly moved away to go work with Berg. And I was mm-hmm. left high and dry and never saw him again. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, that was very traumatic. So yeah. not only was it traumatic that they left, but then when they left, I moved into this commune. must have had about 50 people in it. Mm-hmm. And there was definitely living the law of love, as they called it. Free sex was going on. And mm-hmm. it was very uncomfortable. And I would just try to escape and go take my baby for a walk and cry. And I, I felt so alone. My, this couple that I loved. I loved the wife and the husband and the kids. I felt like I was part of their family. Mm-hmm. And they were gone. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It was really, really traumatic. And, mm-hmm. and um, so anyway, then I was in this new big home and then the leaders wanted me to take care of their children because I was always kind of what I was doing was taking care of people's children and so I started taking care of this couple's children and then we moved ironically back into the same house where I had been with these uh, this other couple into my own little bedroom where I had complete control before it's really important you know you just strive to have control when you're in such a a situation mm-hmm. where you don't have any control. So I just really tried to get that control back, but it was very hard in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. And then I w- was asked to go with uh, the oldest daughter of this couple and a bunch of teenagers who were going down south to do some shows. So I went down south in the Philippines with them. And at that time, that's when I met the man that was be- became my husband. Mm-hmm. And I was so surprised, you know, this single man, why is this man single? You know, there are very few single men, I've, mm-hmm. it's like zero single men. This, he was like the only one. I was like, why? <laughs> well, there were more women than men in the group. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so we ended up meeting six months, six weeks later, we were together, married, kind of, well, at least we committed each other to our, ourselves to each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we were alone for a while with just that couple and things were fairly okay. And then we moved to another house where a bunch of single girls came, single women. And then Jed had to take care of the needs of the single women. So in that house, there was on the refrigerator, I think Angela told you, there's on the refrigerator, um, you know, a dishwashing schedule. And then there's the sharing schedule, like who has sex with who on what day. So whenever I'd walk in the kitchen, I would avert my eyes. So I wouldn't have to see that because it was always who's who's Jed going to have sex with, you know. And by that time, our marriage had already started falling apart. You know, there were signs, but, you know, I was committed to that marriage. Till death do we part. So I was like, I wouldn't consider not being with him, you know. I I just didn't come into my head. I thought I'm married, so I'm married, you know. But Mm -hmm. he... um, after two months of marriage, he never touched me anymore. He, you know, like I'd hug him and he pushed me away. And I was like, whoa, I must be super undesirable and gross, you know. Oh, I'm so ugly. I'm so undesirable. All my teenage insecurities came out. So like sure. our marriage was like flawed from the start, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would just feel horrible about him having, going and having sex with other people. I had, was just burning with jealousy. You know, it would just overcome me. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it was just quite horrible. And this mm. continued on for a few, I don't know, years, as long as we were in these big communes where there was free sex happening and scheduled sex happening. You know, it was just like, I was just constantly jealous. Mm. And um, I'm sure it was very unhealthy for all parties concerned, especially, and you know, my poor husband, I'm, he, how's he going to deal with me? You know, mm. it was just all in all awful. But I think, you know, there's probably a method to this madness in that I'm, I'm sure I wasn't the only jealous person. And mm -hmm. um, so imagine the, the men whose wives are going out flirty fishing. Um, imagine the jealousy they had. And so mm. there must've been all this like, internal turmoil and marriage problems and all this happening so nobody has the time to even lift their head up and say whoa is there something like fundamentally wrong with this situation <laughs> nobody's going to question it because we're all just embroiled in these internal problems mm -hmm. and also, I suppose, answer your question <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah yeah i suppose if a leader wants a certain lifestyle if everyone's doing it no one can question their lifestyle because mm. it's like well everyone's living this life now because I've decided. Yeah, do you think, yeah, that's one of the questions we ask Ange asked Angela, really. Um, do you think that he took it in that direction primarily because of his own perversions and um, and desires? Well, it's really hard to know what someone else thinks yeah, or wants, yeah. you know. Mm. But uh, from what I saw of Berg and the videos I watched of him, I think he was truly delusional. I think mm -hmm. he believed what he thought. I thought he. I think mm -hmm. he believed, you know, in his doctrines. Mm -hmm. sure. He believed he was the David that was prophesied in the Bible, so it was pretty darn delusional. Mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah. Um, I, I mean, uh, it's just a comment, really. And I don't, you know, you can obviously give your your reaction to it. But a lot of when I was reading your book, a lot of what it, it felt like. Um, the way that women were treated, um, they were essentially sex slaves. Mm -hmm. That's how it it reads to me at, at times. Not all the time, but that's how some of, of it reads. Yeah, it was like that, I think. Um, definitely. But I think it got really worse, at least personally for me, it got worse later on because um, I started getting corrected for these terrible sins of favoring my children, of being proud, of being self-righteous, and of being aloof. Mm. I don't know. How is this a sin? But these were all terrible sins. And um, the, I got corrected for this over and over and over. Now, correction is like the leader wants to have a talk with you. And you go into their mm. room and they're like, well, you've been doing really well, but... This is bad, and 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 you're just like a horrible sinner. You're like worse than toenail dirt. And now you need to read these 50 mo letters and pray and ask God what he's trying to teach you. And then you need to have united prayer and prophecies, you know, and cast the devil out of you. And then maybe, you know, maybe you can still continue to serve the Lord, you know, and God can mm -hmm. use you or something. Well, this happened to me uh, numerous times. And the worst one was when I would... Uh, the day on my birthday when I brought home my fifth baby from the hospital mm. and I was like oh baby oh happy baby oxytocin love <laughs> and uh, then I'm yeah. like yeah somebody told me already like the big leader the district shepherd she wrote you this correction you know this mm. letter well I knew it was a correction they didn't have to tell me and so I get home I'm settling in the bed to show my 
my five, my four kids, their little baby brother and everybody's happy. And then I get this letter and it's like, I couldn't mm. sleep, you know, eight pages of correction. Oh, mm. uh, I typed pages on oh, the print, one of those old computer printouts that, you know, mm-hmm. that really yeah. long. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, Oh, I'm just a failure. I'm a failure at serving God. I mean, I knew I was a failure at everything. I'm ugly. I'm undesirable. And now I'm completely a failure at serving God. So what good am I? You know, I'm good at nothing. Mm. So that's it, you know. And from that point on, I feel like I was, um, I've just learned helplessness. Yeah. You know, um, uh, you know Martin Siegelman's um, experiment with dogs, how mm-hmm. he conditioned a dog when he heard the bell, you know, the, the, uh, the floor of the dog's cage. This is 1965. They still did things like this. They don't do this mm-hmm. anymore. Don't worry. Um, but he had electric current flowing through the bottom of the dog's cage, and he'd ring the bell on the current, and he'd ring the bell on the current, and he'd ring the bell. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't regular. It was random. Mm-hmm. So the dog was, like, always, like, high tension, freaked out, you know. And so then he changed the dog's cage, and he put the dog in a cage with just a small barrier between another half. Like, there was two halves of the cage. So the dog was sitting on the electric current side. So he rang, he rang the bell, went, sent the current. But the dog could have just hopped over onto the other side and been free from that current because the other side didn't have any current, but the dog didn't know that. So the dog just sat there because it was helpless. It had learned helplessness. And that's how I feel like I was, and perhaps many other women in the cult, because we were just working all the time, taking care of kids, but then we could never do anything right. And we always had to submit to our husbands. We had to submit to the leaders. We couldn't have any thoughts of our own. We were just like exhausted taking care mm-hmm. of kids, having babies, and never doing anything right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this really affected me in my life, being just having that, like, my soul kind of, like, my any confidence I ever once possessed was, like, eviscerated, and I was just mm-hmm. a shell. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, this is, this was, like, very criminal. And then the, mm-hmm. the children in the cult, the, my, my, my daughters especially, saw me act like that and that was their role model for what a mother was supposed to be like Mm -hmm. not good is is that um you know excuse me if i'm jumping ahead but is is that part of what started your wanting to leave like looking at like you being a woman knowing what it was like for a woman seeing your daughters was that part? no actually no i wasn't that perceptive Mm -hmm. i it was my normal so mm-hmm. it was like the water I was swimming in. It was, I was yeah. a fish in this water, and that was mm-hmm. just how life was. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that got me was when um, I was sitting on the bed one day, and I was looking at my children at that time. I had five children. Mm-hmm. And um, my children were very fair-skinned and fair-haired, and they were just covered in heat rash mm-hmm. and mosquito bites. We were in subtropics at the time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, their raggedy clothes. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. this was not my teenage dream of serving the Lord, you know. This mm-hmm. is not what I signed up for, you know. This, I, what kind of a mother am I? This is not the kind of mother I am. You know, mm-hmm. you get your self-image, right? I'm not, and you believe it, right? I'm, I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. so I would never join a cult. I would never do anything bad. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm like, yeah, this is just not right. So I wanted mm-hmm. to get away from the situation where we were, where my children were being cared for by other people. And I wanted to take care of them myself. And that was like our first step was when we moved away from communal life. Mm-hmm. And that was like, well, things went from bad to worse for us. 
in many ways, but it had a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, you t- I really want to get onto your life after. So um, th- there's lots more detail in in your book, and I, I, again, I will remind our listeners to 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 get the book. It's really, really good, and and I think it, it, it just it's so important to understand that process. Um, one of the things that happened was you with this moving away, that constant, those constant reminders, that constant retelling of what you should be doing by everybody and so on, that reduced. And uh, it seems like that gave you a bit of space to start to, to, to think for the first time um, for many, many years, which, which ultimately led to your, to your leaving the, the group. Mm. Well, there were good points and bad points. Um, yeah. The bad point was that we were very isolated. So although we were in a commune <laughs> with all kinds of crazy rules, at least my kids had friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we were alone in a city where no one spoke English and my kids didn't speak the like, Japanese. And, so this um, is when you ended up in Japan. Yes. Yeah. 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 My kids didn't speak Japanese and we were in this and I didn't speak. That was another reason we wanted to get away was because I didn't speak Japanese and I've been in the country for eight years. I'm like, what? And this, this old <laughs> farmer said, well, what, what, how can you call yourself a missionary when you can't even speak Japanese? And I'm like, yes, you're right. That's exactly what I think. So I was like, <laughs> we've got to get away and, and, sure. and actually understand this country. So that was one of our motivations for leaving mm. um, communal life. So then we set out on our own. But, of course, this was all allowed. We didn't break any cult rules or anything. God forbid. Um, mm-hmm. we, it was the new rules had come out that allowed people to live in smaller groups. And we actually wrote to the queen mother, Mama Maria Zerbi herself, and got permission for us to live on our mm-hmm. own. So we were all like legal children mm-hmm. of God members. It was all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't break rules. <laughs> <laughs> so then we were in this we thought i thought oh yay freedom and then it was like oh my god my kids have no friends <gasps> okay so we have to send them to school uh, well this is kind of off topic but then you know i guess it's a different topic so i'll stick to the topic but um <laughs> yeah so we had our share of troubles there and then we sure. were trying to always get people to come and live with us to fulfill the two family must live together to be a children of god home rule they so like we were we had a waiver for a while but we couldn't push that forever so sure but it was just really hard to live with other people and it just was really hard mm-hmm. so then the doctrines got weirder and weirder and then uh you know mama maria said yeah now when you guys make love you have to like pretend you're making love to jesus and say love words to jesus and it was like yeah, that's weird. So I'll just wrap that up in a bundle of faith and set it aside. Yeah. That one's kind of weird. Yeah, because she said, but you don't have to believe it. It's not like a required doctrine. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Not required. Shh, set that aside. And then she's like, oh, and now there's all these um, spirit helpers that you have to pray to, and they're going to banish these special demons that are attacking you. So they'll think this is, and you got to remember their names. And I'm like, what? That's, that's so weird. And then these spirit helpers started dictating novels from the like departed saints of the past. So like Robert Louis Stevenson is like dictating this novel to some dude in, mm. in world services. And I'm like, oh, okay, these are really bad. You know, these, these novels are not well written because um, I was one of the probably, I mean, from what I understand, 
books were kind of a taboo in the in the cult but i had a lot library of books that i carried with me having always been a teacher you know mm -hmm. and i had novels and books that, for my kids to read a lot of stories of missionaries and stuff that was kind of like okay you know and so I, I had never read these books, but my kids had. But I know what a good book is, and those weren't. So I was like, oh, <laughs> everything's just so crazy, you know? And right. I stopped kind of listening. Like my husband would be reading devotions to our kids, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'd be doing finances or something. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go teach a class or something because I was, we, started, we started an English school. And um, he and I were both teachers. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then uh, oh, and then a bunch of young people left around 2000. Mm. And so Zerby's like, oh, we're going to do something really marvelous. You know, we're going to we're going to make these videos for everybody in the cult to see, you know. And so, oh, exciting. <laughs> the queen herself is going to appear and talk to us. Cool, cool. So let's we had to go to drive to a faraway commune to go and watch them because, you know, when things are scarce, they're more valuable. Right. So, ooh, mm. special videos. So we, I'm like, <laughs> so I went to see my husband and I drove far away to go see these videos. And I, we, I, I <laughs> Oh, my jaw nearly dropped. I was like, what is this woman? <laughs> she looked so crazy. And she was walking back and forth and talking about strengthening the borders of our tents against attacks of the Vandari enemies. And and I was like, this woman is insane. Mm -hmm. And and she looked crazy, too. She yeah. She's like, was in her 60s. I don't know. She's quite way older than me. Long mm -hmm. dangly earrings and this long low cut. She had long white hair and then lo this low cut dress to beneath her breasts and this long mm -hmm. necklace. And okay, I may be conservative, but honestly, I don't <laughs> think that's becoming of a woman your age. I mean, I am conservative, okay, so I'm judgmental. Maybe I am self righteous. <laughs> and anyway, so I go and I write to my oldest son who'd already left the cult and I say, Man, Zerby's crazy. And he's like, yes, mom. Yes, mom. She really is. And he sent me a link to um, the Lord Justice Ward's judgment, which had, had occurred in 1992. There was a court case in England, and we had heard about this terrible persecution, but we weren't allowed to know any details about it. But I read the court judgment, and I mean, it was pretty bad. I was like, what? There's all this sexual abuse happening to kids? Um, there's these, It was like, a horror story after horror story after horror story. And and I was like, I was part of this group. I am out. You know, I am out. And that was it. And so that was mm -hmm. 2004. We left. And then, okay, so then I have to face reality. Here we are with six kids. My oldest two had left home already. Here are six kids. We've got no savings to speak of. No retirement fund. Uh, we're in the boonies of Japan. Nobody speaks English. And how are we going to get our kids into college? <laughs> Mm -hmm. And um, that was a problem. Mm -hmm. And it was all my fault because I always thought everything was my fault. I thought, I guess I must have thought I was like superpower or something that everything could be my fault. Mm -hmm. but sure. I always seem to think that. So, oh my God, what have I done? I've raised my kids in this cult. I've been part of this horrible group that abused kids. Ah, mm -hmm. and I just like pff, darkness of guilt fell upon me. And I was like, mm -hmm. I just could hardly function. But I had to because I had all these kids to take care of. Mm -hmm. So we made this plan. Okay, let's just move to the, uh, you, you move to the U.S. with the kids and my husband's going to stay here and work and we'll just, just get set up and get the kids into high school and they can get scholarships. It'll be great. Mm -hmm. 
it didn't work out quite like that. I didn't mm-hmm. have any, I don't have a college education. I didn't have any credit history. I had no contacts, mm-hmm. no friends, no relatives, nothing, no support system whatsoever. And I was, I had learned helplessness and I was like this little beaten down Bible woman. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to set up a life for myself in the U.S. with three kids. So all I ended up doing was failing at everything, sure. getting more depressed about what a failure I was and spending my savings. And then, uh, then my husband lost, uh, I mean, it wasn't his fault, but two thirds of our students quit. So I had to go back and help build up our school again so we could have some money because we were we didn't have money anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I was kind of afraid to ever try it again, you know. But mm-hmm. after that, even though I was very busy, I started listening to audiobooks and courses. My son also had introduced me to those. Uh, uh, a very good uh, college-level courses called The Great Courses, which I'm a great fan mm-hmm. of. And so mm-hmm. I started listening to those. And my constant comprehension had been kind of shot, I think, from all the years of reading stupid Mo letters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was very hard for me to understand stuff, books especially. I could, I was really hard to concentrate on a book. But then I started making progress, and then I heard a line in something that I listened to that struck me. Psychopaths aren't, don't feel guilt. I'm like, oh, <laughs> wow, I feel mm. guilt. I must mean that I'm kind-hearted, and that's why I feel guilt. Not a psychopath. <laughs> no, I'm not a psychopath. There is something redeemable about me. So that this is absurd, isn't it? But that one little ray of light was sure. my saving grace, you know. And then mm. I thought, okay, look, you're wallowing in guilt. You just gotta gotta pull yourself out. Life goes on, mm. you know. And mm-hmm. so I started studying. And then the, one of the courses that I took from the great courses was um, Your Deceptive Mind. And Dr. Stephen Novella talks about, um, he just has a brief overview of the different biases and heuristics. But mm-hmm. I looked at that course and I looked at his bibliography and I'm like, okay, there's my reading list. And so I started working through those books. And then I read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. And he He's the, the king of behavioral yes. economics, right? He got the he got the Nobel Prize in 2002. Sure. This man knows what he's talking about. So he <laughs> went through all the biases and heuristics, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, just learning about these was so revelatory for me. The availability heuristic means that, like, uh, things that often easily come to mind, you believe them. Mm-hmm. So familiarity is not easily distinguished from truth, Daniel Kahneman said. It's like, all these things I'd memorized, of course they easily come to my mind. And of course I believe them because they come to my mind. And, and then the confirmation bias comes in and what you already believe, it just like makes this wall of protection around you. So if a different thought or a different counter idea comes to your brain, it just kind of washes off like water for ducks back because mm-hmm. the confirmation bias makes you want to stick to what you already believe. So all these biases and heuristics were at play in my brain for all these years. And I was like, oh, my God, Daniel Kahneman, you're my hero. You, um, <laughs> you know, you're telling me what's going on with me. I'm understanding. I'm starting to understand because once I realized I couldn't wallow in guilt, I realized to, in order to pull myself out, I had to understand why I joined the cult that, and then why I stayed. So mm-hmm. those were my big questions mm-hmm. that I had to answer. Yeah. So. Eventually, I did get those answered, and and it really, I think, it helped me a lot to be able to let go and move on. And I have truly moved on. You know, talking mm-hmm. now. I mean, my kids find the. 
they, it, the, their memory of their childhood and the cult doctrines, are, it's, mm. it's just hilarious, you know. I mean, I guess tragedy plus time makes comedy or something because uh, yeah. thinking back at the absurdity of the children of God yeah. beliefs is, is, is quite funny. Yeah, we we've um we did a recent episode with another XJW talking about the funny side of cults. Um and it, it's you know, it, people might not recognise that, but yeah, there are some things you have to look back and um shake your head. Yeah, how did I how did I do that? How did I believe that stuff? But I think you're you are um you're educating yourself is is really interesting. It's something that um that, that I'm personally really interested in. It's one of the bits of research that I did for for my masters was how um xjws can use education and career to help make sense of their experience Mm. Uh, and you're you're really saying the same stuff you're saying i need to understand what happened to me i wanted to understand what what you know what my experience was and 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 you you found that um explanation in the way that that our mind works and that the Mm. psychology of of that i think it's really fascinating well, yeah, I had to. I like I didn't have. Uh, there was no psychologist I could talk to, no therapists sure. around. You know, I yeah. was I was this little island by myself with my kids, and yeah, um, yeah I just had to. Oh, actually, something we want to I want to just make people aware of is um, you write in a in a blog. I, I I've I also have um, a blog in there, but you you write in Medium. So Medium is a is a sort of blogging site, I guess. Mm. Um, and uh, you can, you know, you can write essays in there and, and so on. It's a really interesting mm. place to be. Uh, you write quite a lot of stuff in there, which is very, very interesting. And you you talk about psychology quite a lot in there. Um, mm. So I would recommend people to to visit that as well, that site. Um, yeah, so some very interesting stuff there. Yeah, actually, I started blogging in 2014, uh, right. because a couple of my ex-member friends, one was a born in and one was a, my, more my age, they, they were like, just just start blogging, you know? You keep mm. telling us all this stuff you're learning, just blog it. So <laughs> yeah. I, my first blog is, is on WordPress, and it's called Coming to Grips with My 30 Years in the Cult. And okay. then, I, then I moved over to Medium, a, was it a year or two ago? I don't know, maybe last year? I don't remember. But I, I, uh, a lot of my older stuff, I mean... A lot, hundreds of posts are there. Actually, it's a lot of stuff. Great. Anyway, well, so we'll put, that we'll, too. Put, we'll put some links on on their um, on our show notes so that people can mm-hmm. um, can have a read of that. So I think that's it's very different to your book. Um, your book is your story, and um, that's uh, I think that's very important to read. But the, the blog, well, what what I've read of it anyway, is is very much about um, your experiences with educating yourself and understanding mm. what you know, what happened to you. So I think that's, uh, and, and it's helpful for others, I think as well. Mm. Uh, a lot of the stuff we've touched on, on the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, one thing I w- I'd like to say is that um, in spite of, you know, this hardship and, you know, the, the years in the cult and then my really difficult years after I left trying to survive, help my kids make sense, mm. <laughs> go through menopause, you know, all this stuff going on <laughs> in my life. Um uh, today, like when I, when I walk in the countryside, it's like, uh, I probably drive people crazy when I'm with them because everything is just so pretty. It's just yeah. so pretty. I, I just appreciate the beauty of nature so much. Um, just like small things make me really happy. 
I, I think that all those years of deprivation have, have given me a real um, appreciation for beauty and for the simple joys of life, you know, just mm-hmm. drinking coffee, you know, I can drink coffee. I can have wine at dinner. It's like, these are awesome things, you know. I can eat ice cream once in a while. This is fantastic. It's not like I never could before at all, but I just think I have a really renewed appreciation for freedom. You know, I can do what I want to do. I guess it took me a while to understand what I did want to do because I had no sense Mm -hmm. of self. But then, you know, now I'm kind of grasping. I can do what I want to do. It's my life. It's not dictated by anybody else anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's just wonderful, you know. That's fantastic. Ah, That's a brilliant place to to leave our conversation, I think. Um, Unless you've got anything else, Celine, you want to... No, I was, I was thinking that was a good. Just, yeah, that's you know, great. It felt like it, it feels very uplifting, and <laughs> I think that's fantastic. I mean, I personally am full of admiration for you and what you've done, mm-hmm. and the way you talk about it, I think, is absolutely brilliant. And I know our listeners will will appreciate that as well. Thank you, Mary, for Thanks coming for on the show. Thanks for being so today. kind. Thank appreciate it. Thank you. What should I think about? Is an evil sheep production. 